Tomatoes Podcast. Welcome, beautiful listener, to the Humidus Podcast with Steph and Hammer. How are you doing, Steph? I'm doing great, Hammer. You want to know why? Yes. Because yesterday, you and me, we saw one of the best movies I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I can say that. It was good. It was really good. And... uh... Yeah, unless you've been sleeping on a rock, uh, it was Doom, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't really have too too high of an expectation for this movie because I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't a veteran of the Dune universe. I've never read the the books, mm-hmm. and I didn't see the original movie. So you did though. So you kind of and did you read the books at all or just uh, no. I saw the, the 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 movie from '84 back when I was probably around I'm a guess 10, 11, something like that, and um, I have some fond memories of it because back then it was um, every summer my cousin from who lives quite a uh, quite a ways away. Mm-hmm. I was always I would always look up to him because he was two years older than me. He had access to all the cool shit, you know, and. Uh, yeah. Or at least in my perspective, and yeah. So he would sit in the basement room in my granddad's place during summers, and I would always watch him play stuff like Diablo Two, Heroes Three, and then we would watch that movie. Mm. Um, Sounds like good times. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it really was. It was so influential on on me as well. Um, and I gotta say that the movie itself, I don't remember mm. too much of it. But I do remember. I did know that, like, you know, that the new Dune had. It has like a, a director that I have a lot of faith in, especially after Blade Runner. Yeah. And you know, it had a really big budget, and the cast was really good. And yeah, the cast was really on point. Yeah, and then the story itself lends itself. That's one of the things I do remember from the the old movies that I thought, you know, if they can make it that epic. With the constraints of being made in '84, mm. uh, you know, um, this director can do wonders with yeah, yeah, this yeah. franchise in 2021. So my expectations were actually quite high. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I also came out super satisfied with this. Yeah, and that's rare because when your expectations are up like that, it rarely you know, matches up to reality. But still, this was. Oh, it's so refreshing to have like because you feel being so cynical and critical <laughs> to everything you feel like maybe it's just something wrong with you you know that yeah. you're you're just too spoiled or just too just yeah bitter for some reason old and bitter but this <laughs> was just yeah when you when you get that mm, this good movie good movie you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. then uh, it's just uh, so refreshing so we both loved it. Uh, I, I can barely fault it for anything. It was quite long, but I was still, you know, interested throughout. And yeah, I, I can't really put my finger on anything in particular. Yeah, and the interesting part is, yeah, like you said, it was long. And towards maybe the last half an hour, I started thinking about, all right, did I, 
is there are there parts here that i felt was a little bit off was there any lines that was delivered a little bit off was there um you know anything that i thought could have been done better and yeah. for the remaining half an hour i tried to like look a little bit extra hard to see if i can find anything at all but i i when i left the cinema i was like yeah you know we, we talked about this after as well right so it was like mm. i just couldn't find anything and i tried just 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 to have you know something <laughs> but it just i couldn't find it no no it was very well rounded in all corners i mean yeah you could kind of find some like i can always find some kind of logical inconsistencies but... uh, sure those are like, I mean, when the Harkons are, are gaining, are we gonna go spoilers already, or just? No, 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 not yet. No. If it's spoilery, so... just go <laughs> later. Okay, so so um, the movie is basically airtight. Yeah. Um, there, you know, you can always kind of find some logical in inconsistencies, but those are very few and far between here. Yeah, and uh, I think that they. Am I right in saying that they weren't really distracting at all? Yeah, yeah, I I'm, I totally agree. You, they weren't like standing out. Maybe if, if you're over over anal, analyzing the movie, then you might like see some inconsistencies here. Like, yeah, yeah. There, but, but still. Um, but then it's um, I feel like it's if that's the length you have to go to to find some apparent flaws then uh, yeah i mean it's a great uh, movie <laughs> yeah yeah it's a great movie uh, but we do think that you know i i do think this is uh, one of the better movies i've seen in in later years do you think that because this is part one of mm. of two it seems yeah so that means the next movie is also going to be very very long mm. so because uh, you know judging from where it got to in terms of uh, plot for mm -hmm. the old movie, yeah, uh, then you know there's still quite a bit left, mm -hmm. and um, you know, would you say this is close to the level of cinematic experience as the Lord of the Rings? Oh, mm, yeah, so. Oh, that's a hard one. I know, but if you if you try do, to take your bias towards yeah um, towards Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, it's very hard um, to take my bias away because I mean I've read the books like five times, yeah, uh, and listened to the uh, audiobook maybe twenty times, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. So the Norwegian audiobook, I know. Almost all the phrases and stuff like that. So <laughs> I do love me some Lord of the Rings, and I do share. That's like a, a it has a special place in my heart. And this yeah. is new to me. The Dune series is totally new. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I knew about the Dune series. I played the uh, Battle for Dune RTS back yeah. in the day. But um, in terms, of, like purely in terms of movie making and cinematic experience, I'm. I'm gonna place this a hair shy of Little Lord of the Rings, mm. but it's very close. It's very close. Yeah, I agree with you uh, yeah. on that one. I think that also. I think this is the same ballpark. I think this is the yeah. same tier of movie. It's absolutely the same tier. Yeah, I would say so as well. And 
there's just so many things going for this movie. I mean, the cast, like you said, mm -hmm. perfect, and acting performances was it was it was insanely good. Uh, playing often playing in like science fiction uh, fantasy universes is hard, yeah, because it's so far from reality, and you need to kind of you know imagine your character just living in. A, an insane <laughs> feudal futuristic <laughs> society where you know houses and honor mean everything and you know the the power goes to whoever controls the spice trade and whatever yeah. you know, it's like to kind of put yourself into that character is very it's hard to be convincing on like a serious level and i felt that we got that here oh yeah um, uh, yeah, not <laughs> trying to avoid spoilers now, but yeah. Yeah, I think um, I absolutely love the cast, and especially, I mean, there there were those I I knew that were safe bets, like Jason Momoa was great, uh, yeah, Josh Brolin, of course, and Oscar Isaacs as uh, Leto Atreides was really good as well. Yeah, absolutely. And but then. The one I was a little bit skeptical or didn't know what to expect, I guess, was uh, Timothy Chalamet as yeah. uh, Paul Atreides, the main character. Mm -hmm. And he just super convinced me. I yeah. stand he was corrected. really good. Yeah. Yeah, he was really good. And I, I mean, Dennis in an interview said that what he was looking for in the character uh, was to have to be able to look very young. And yeah. innocent but also have um like an um, a feeling of experience in the eyes or maybe like uh you know timothy has kind of a the, that thousand yard stare with a determination in it which yeah. kind of gives you a feeling of this guy has a purpose now yes and um i feel that i mean i saw that interview after after we saw the movie mm-hmm and uh, it just that was like my exact kind of impression from from the character was yeah. exactly that that he was he was like young and insecure but then he had that weird like you kind of get a, a hero's journey feeling you know uh, mm -hmm. that he has a calling and there's like something living inside him which is much more uh, mature and uh, hardened, you know, than the little boy. Yeah, and I think the contrast uh, in that is very was very well portrayed as well. Like for example, absolutely, there were times when he was supposed to be insecure. He seemed really insecure, uh, and then it kind of seemed like, okay, is this gonna be one of those tropey things? But as yeah. soon as things got hard, and he had to step up and fight and stuff, like you, yeah. you just like, uh, I was like, oh yeah. I forgot, he's actually super trained by two of the best fighters in the galaxy, Duncan Idaho and yeah. Gunry. And he knows yeah. how to fight, and he just <laughs> and he shows it, and then it yeah, absolutely. And he sells that, like, um, like one he of the sells fights. sells it convincingly. Seemed, yeah, he does. Yeah. He, he yeah. seemed dangerous, like, uh, there was a absolutely. confrontation later on in the movie where, um, where, you know, the, there are two him and another character fighting some other, <laughs> like, a group of characters. And yeah. the way I'm trying spoiler free, you guys, spoiler free. <laughs> yeah, but this is very vague, right? I'm not gonna say anything yeah, yeah, about that's, the circumstances. That's <laughs> we'll get into it later. <laughs> you're good at it. You're good at it, stuff. So. <laughs> but that scene, uh, as soon as shit hits the fan, you just see him just tactically 
positioning himself really, you know, properly and just uh, the immediately move to gain the upper hand and stuff, I thought it was really yeah. well done. Yeah, me too. I mean, they, like you said, you could you could easily get like a Gary Stu feeling here, uh, but it, there's none of that. You feel that his, uh, you feel kind of his fear, even though he's a capable fighter, like you said. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of tension built up, and you can feel that he's in mortal, mortal peril in mm -hmm. these situations. You know, there's no like, uh, and and that's hard to do because he's the main protagonist. Yeah, and you can, you know, you still you're still a little bit on edge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really hard to do, and it, it, it impressed me greatly. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, absolutely, Timothy knocked it out of the park. Do you want to do a quick rundown of the um, of the the main plot? Because if uh, one and a half of you is listening to this without actually having any knowledge <laughs> of the movie, <laughs> okay. So let's uh, let's kind of let's try to do it. Um, break it down. So in uh, like I don't know, it's ten or twenty thousand years in the future. Manity. Ten, yeah, year ten thousand something. Yeah. yeah, I saw it, but I somewhere I read it was twenty thousand. But yeah, okay, yeah. so. In the far future, humanity has colonized huge amounts of planets, and um, it's uh, kind of regressed a little bit after a. It's very similar to 40k after a, yeah, a war say, or uh, a jihad, basically uh, against machines, against thinking machines, mm -hmm. and uh, which resulted in the abolishment of the use of, of AI, and mm -hmm. that resulted in the ability, the restricted ability for humanity to travel interstellarly or just travel between the stars basically so yeah okay so now uh, the society regresses a little bit it becomes more feudal and um, and it's uh, it is <laughs> discovered that it, through the use of a chemical called spice which basically is insanely rare or just one planet that has it mm -hmm. uh, you can uh, kind of mutate and and uh, enhance human ability and uh, which results in a guild of navigators that can safely navigate spaceships again <laughs> uh, sounds familiar again. sounds very familiar and this uh, of course becomes one of the most uh, sought after resources in the galaxy because you know, being able to to travel is <laughs> basically what what builds the empire and keeps it together. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so in control, the this human empire is an emperor, of course. Um, and he, <laughs> in our story, assigns uh, one of the leading noble families of the galaxy to take control over the planet Arrakis, where spice is found this is the only place where it's found and uh traditionally for 80 years there was another family controlling this planet growing very rich and powerful um and this is where our story starts yeah. uh, in the in the transition between the ownership or fiefdom of uh, arrakis uh from the um atreides family to or uh, from the harkonnen family to the Atreides family yeah which is like the two of the most prominent noble families mm -hmm. uh, and so initially we think that this is just uh, you know I don't know some kind of political just normal trade 
uh, situation, but then we we discover that this is actually a ploy from the Emperor to undermine the power of the uh, Atreides family. Yeah. Uh, just uh, he's basically backstabbing them and and letting the Harkonnens, uh, yeah, kill them basically. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he sets uh, when, the stage for war between yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, between them, and and of course the the Harkonnens does not want to give up the insane uh, resource uh, harvesting they've been doing and, and making billions of uh, Solaris every year. Yeah. Okay, so that's like the the premise. You want to take it from there? Um, should we say anything more? Uh, Without spoiling, you mean? Yeah. Oh uh, well, I guess we could say that. Uh, so the main characters we focus on are mostly members of the Atreides family, uh, with uh, Timothy yeah. Chalamet's Paul Atreides, the young son of the Duke Atreides, uh, being the main focus here. Yeah. And, um, you know, as soon as they end up going to Arrakis, then things start happening. And it turns out that Paul is somehow, you know, related to the locals, the Fremen, and he keeps having visions, and it all kind of sets the stage for Paul's journey. Yeah, yeah. So, I. I and, yeah. Should we say more? <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you, man, how much we spoil. I mean, this is basically where. Uh, for me, we can spoil, but... Alright, let's wrap up the spoiler-free section first. Um, yeah. Some quick pros, like, uh, quick, uh, you know, really positive okay, standout pros. points. Insanely good, I mean, visually, visually, both, uh, like, uh, traditional cinematic shots and establishments and stuff like that, mm -hmm. really, really great, and all of the... I think that almost all of the CGI stuff was also really good. Oh, yeah. Um, like design elements like the shields and stuff like that yeah. so like just visual storytelling like that it's blue when it's deflected and red when it's you know almost on the breaking point yeah just just, just kind of showing you with uh, with colors how it works is really good you know um, and actors doing a perfect job really really mm -hmm. convinced me on yeah can't really fault any of the actors here. No, no, no. So, no standout. No standout that was like less than the others. No, I found no lines that I thought was delivered a little bit wonky. Uh, I think everything no. was just. This was yeah. Pitch, absolute mm. great uh, effort by the by the actors. Yeah. So, can't really. <laughs> that's the pros. The cons. Just it's long. It's a little bit, you know tiring for some people it will yeah. be a little bit tiring for some people to sit through it all but it's still worth it to to enjoy this movie so yeah so if you were to score it what would you give it out of 10 it's it's like uh out of 10 it's it's like if i can do decimals i would say maybe like 9.23 mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like a 10 out of 10 for me but it quite it can't be quite because ten out of ten should be almost unattainable. Yeah, fair enough. If ten out of ten is like the unreachable um, ultimate goal, that mm -hmm. is kind of like perfection that can't really be obtained. Yeah, almost. Full yeah. Like. Then <laughs> yeah, I, you know, for 
my case, the pros were as you listed, and also... Um, we'll get more into this in the spoilers, but then all the portrayals of the different houses and the cultures and how they really nailed that. Normally they yeah, say show, yeah. don't tell, and there's a lot of exposition in this movie, but with, they also show everything in such a badass fashion um, on screen as they're narrating. So I'm like, I was so hooked and I was so excited to see all these things that they were showing, all the massive fucking ships and the, you know, just their uniforms and their culture and like just all these things. Whenever a new house or something was shown, I was like, "Ooh, this looks fucking cool!" And we were just like sitting there, really excited. Um, yeah. so many cool things. Uh, perfect casting, as you said. Uh, the Harkonnens also were just like, "What? <laughs> Whoa, they're yeah, a trip." Yeah. Um, I mean, Palpatine has almost found a contender now in terms of like cartoonishly evil but also great uh, villains <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> this is like yeah so baron harkonnen also was one of those um he's like palpatine's fat younger brother <laughs> that yeah. just like took laziness as a superpower but yeah um <laughs> but um i yeah I, I also for the negatives sure i i think that this also can be a little bit of a hard sell for someone who's a very casual moviegoer that wants mm -hmm. to have everything very streamlined, very clear-cut. Um, it doesn't explain everything. It has some vague elements like the visions. Uh, I won't, like, we'll probably get into them later. Yeah. And and there is what, a lot of expositions. Yeah, but what do you, what, if you summarize, like, the score out of 10 mm -hmm. decimals? Yeah, I would, I actually, I was pretty excited. I would say this as a, because of how much fun I had and how little f few flaws, uh, you know, because I don't mind the exposition and I'm not a casual moviegoer. I like slow burns and not that yeah. this even was much of a slow burn at times, but no. Um, so for me, this was a 9.7. 9.7, yeah, mm. absolutely fair. Okay, so now that's the it for the spoiler free. If <laughs> we managed to, you have, have been one. <laughs> yeah, and let's get into the spoilers because. This is where the meat is. I mean, why why did you put it like 9.7 and I 9.3 or whatever? Mm -hmm. So let's kind of, let's try to be critical. Like you said, yep. it's a lot to get into. And often that's where like a movie like this fails is to try to deliver a huge universe, well-developed universe in a short amount of time. Yeah. And often it's just like it's just some voice narrating, like the yeah. whole, the whole kind of premise of the movie before it starts. And maybe you'll see uh, a cave painting at the same, yeah, like vaguely yeah. summarizing as he's saying, you know. And and uh, things can often feel the pacing can often feel like very hodgepodge and messy in mm -hmm. in like huge uh, movies like this. Uh, but I think here there's none of that the storytelling the establishment of the universe is just perfectly done i mean you don't need to know the dune universe at all for for did to enjoy this movie um and i think that's a feat in itself to be able to do that uh because that's really hard yeah uh yeah and and, and so so like the start of the movie perfect and the design also the costume design yeah I mean, they have a lot of inspiration, of course. Um, 
So, I mean, they don't need to come up with all this, but they need to kind of refine it and make it their own, you know? And they really, really nailed it there. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Just the, the armors that they were wearing, all of them yeah. were fucking cool, and some of the ceremonial outfits was, like, so out there, but also very believable in the setting. Um, mm. Like, for example, when the, when the Emperor's envoy arrives on the... On the, on the Atreides home planet to yeah. deliver them the the proposition to take over Rakis. Yeah. <laughs> fucking scroll. Yeah. <laughs> and then he... Yeah. And then, you know, you saw those, like, people walking behind the envoy that had these giant, like, bulbous helmets yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> inside ropes, and, and it just... It was so out there, but I loved it. Yeah, I, I love it, too. So, like... All of the aesthetics, the costume design, everything was really, really well done. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, picking up ship. from where we introduced uh, the start of the movie, uh, the Atreides um, start by, like, uh, trying to resume mining operations on, on Arrakis. Mm -hmm. And uh, they run into some problems, but then, out of nowhere, it seems like, uh, <laughs> the Arconans strike and they've uh, they've like bought some cell sword uh, kind of uh, the daggers of the emperor uh, yeah, this, I can't remember the name the Sardaukar Sardaukar yeah Sardaukar um, they're like some <laughs> family with their guns for hire basically yeah um, but they're really good at fighting and so the Harkonnens and the Sardaukar start attacking the uh, the Arrakis uh, cities basically uh, and the main city where where the Duke lives. Uh, yeah, and they have some infiltrator also to yeah. help kind of kill the Duke and, and get him. And there's a whole thing with the yeah his motivations, and you see how bad he's your Conan is. And what uh, a trip that him. guy is. <laughs> yeah, the fat fucking bastard. Uh, but we'll get into him. But but my first kind of small criticism in the movie. Mm -hmm. Is I don't know how, how this is done in like the, the but this is like one of those logical in, inconsistencies I feel uh, because you know the Atreides and the Harkonnens are enemies from like far back mm -hmm. and when the Atreides arrive on Arrakis you would expect them to kind of establish some kind of planetary defense system yeah I would I would at least you know expect them to do that and some kind of warning system for mm -hmm. like a huge you know fleet to attack them they should like have some kind of advanced warning yeah. maybe the infiltrator uh, or there were more infiltrators that we didn't see that kind of collaborated to not relay such a message or something like that but I feel that the, the attack was a little bit... We should have got, gotten, like, a reason for why, like, huge capital ships full of warriors could, like, approach the planet without getting detected. The only thing that I remember being related to that was they did mention something about how their communications were downed or were jammed. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know so, if, you know, what that entails i don't know if that entail yeah. yeah maybe it was like a storm or something that's like a usual thing mm -hmm. but you would also expect like planetary defenses to be positioned in you know geostationary orbit and stuff you know you yeah. wouldn't necessarily have them on planet because 
it takes a lot of energy to pump weapons out from the gravitational well of the planet. So, like, logically, there should be some kind of defense system in orbit, and it should be able to detect, like, a large fleet approaching. That's, that's like, one gripe for me. Yeah. I'm, you know, a little bit autistic. <laughs> I, no, but I agree but, when you say, yeah. But, I mean, that that's, like, the one... It's very small because it's executed well still, you know, and it's still the thing that they put the infiltrator there and probably it wasn't the only one, you know. And there are multiple cities on, on Arrakis also. It would probably put... Um, it would probably take, like, a couple of lines extra of, of dialogue to fix this issue. Yeah. But since it's yeah. there and since you mentioned it, then yes, I, I agree on that. Yeah, but that's, like, a small thing. It, it doesn't ruin anything. I mean, no, no. movies usually are littered with these kind of small inconsistencies. And for what I know, maybe like the the uh, novel or the books kind of elaborate on this. Probably they do, you know. Mm, yeah. So so it's like something that the director kind of expects you to know, and he doesn't expect casual viewers to care, mm. <laughs> you know. So so they kind of admit that because, and like you said, might be just some kind of lines that could fix it, but you also need to kind of establish some some in-universe reason for how a, a large capital ship can approach yeah, yeah. You know, without any sensors picking it up or, or anything like that. I but mean, maybe, you, I don't know. I mean, if you see a giant sausage up in the sky, what will you do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the sausage ship was fucking <laughs> badass. It was the, the like, interstellar stellar ship was basically like a huge sausage-shaped hollow <laughs> pipe yeah it was a, yeah it was essentially a large ass pipe and and from out of it cool. just a bunch of sesame seed chips just came out yeah <laughs> yeah just squirting them squirting them out there yeah yeah so that's like one small i mean for me this is a very small thing mm -hmm. uh because it was done very well and you didn't really notice that at all in, yeah. the, in the action scenes i didn't think of it during the time actually but now that you mentioned it yes that is uh, that is the thing yeah uh, and then yeah so the harkonnens just they come to the palace they fuck everyone over <laughs> the yeah the atreides are just basically royally fucked um and uh yeah, do you want to like elaborate on the attack? It was quite a lot of you know badass action scenes. Yeah, it was really done. I um, mean, I, I think most of the characters that we that were established among the Atreides uh, household, yeah. uh, most of them got their got their time to shine. So yeah, you have Gunry essentially in his sleeping robes. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's like the the veteran, the the older harried veteran that. Is they're responsible for a lot of the training for the main character, right? And yeah, him, yeah. just you see these ships that just like drop bombs that penetrate the shields and all that, and then they mm -hmm. they land, and they just start dropping soldiers, and everything's exploding around them. Their huge drop ships are exploding in front of them, and then you know Gunnery is like, you know what? Fuck it, <sighs> that's not gonna deter us. Let's charge it with like no. a small sword yeah. and our uh, <laughs> and our sleeping ropes. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I wanna, I wanna kill. That's basically his intention there. He's, he wants to get into the thick of it. And he just wants to kind of get down with one of the enemy soldiers right there and then. Yeah, he 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 just he knows like, he's doomed. 
Yeah, but he takes no prisoners. He's just like, you know what? Fuck it. The sooner yeah. I can slit throats of Harkonnens, the, the better. And he just yeah, like charges yeah. with the other people. I yeah, thought that, that was, was really hardcore. cool. And whatever scene Duncan Idaho was in was always great. And Jace Momoa killed yeah. it. Yeah, um, he was really, really badass. Yeah, and when and he like the... <laughs> when he steals the ship. Um, yeah, when he steals the <laughs> ship, that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> he, he just like runs out, and you know everything's being bombed and destroyed around him. He comes out there with his swords, and there's some Harkonnens, or are they Sardaukar? I don't remember. But they drop out of these like no, they're Harkonnens, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they they drop out of these um, really cool dragonfly designed ships. Yeah, yeah. That are called like Ornopters or something. I'm not sure. Um, and they're really cool, but then they drop out some soldiers. He just charges them by himself. He just like fucks them up in split seconds each. <laughs> and then he's like beelining for the ship. And the remaining soldiers, did you see how he just slaughters them like a Dynasty Warriors character? And they're just like, you know what? Y you can have that ship. Yeah. We'll, we'll just like chill. <laughs> just... They're like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just take it. And he taunts them as well to deter them, kind of like, um, and that really reminded me of some of the best Khal Drogo scenes from Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really badass in, in those scenes. Uh, but like, yeah, it, he fits that warrior, all that warrior so good, that yeah. character. So yeah, he was very believable and uh, his scenes were excellent. There is also a really cool action scene where he takes this, uh, the ornicopter or whatever they call that thing, <laughs> the, uh, the dragonfly thing, and, and just fucking try to escape, but also try to inflict some damage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he kind of lured the, the mothership to fire a fucking giant laser yeah. beam <laughs> and scorch some some uh, some blue and blue fire, <laughs> which was... And the beam was really... I mean, the weapons were cool. Yeah. I love... I love when when you know directors try to create weapons that are both stylistic and cultural, yeah, and like futuristic, you know. So you you kind of get both here, and you also get the melee. You get the feeling that since it's like a feudal society, and there's like honor and stuff, people actually fight with swords, yeah. Even though it's much more efficient to like have you know ranged weapons, of course. But you get a little bit of explanation with the shields. Yeah. But you still see how, how this is like a cultural thing. Like in the olden days. I mean, before in Europe, there were, you know, the kings had their armies. And it, it was not like, it was just a professional army, basically, that the king had. And you went to war. And if you lost, it's not like you went back and, and drafted the entire country to, to fight. It was like, okay, I lost. You got me this time. You can have this part of my country, and then it was all like gentlemanly and like, okay, next time I'll conquer it back. Yeah, basically, it was almost like a sport, and you kind of see that a little bit here, like they, the feudal like uh, honor system and, and you know sword combat and stuff like that. Yeah, the the concept of honor comes in a lot, especially when the fremen comes in as well. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that, but. Okay, so I think this sets the stage to introduce Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> yeah. Because he just personally comes down there to fucking mock uh, Duke Atreides, almost. Yeah, and Stellan Skarsgård 
which is like perfect for this role. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> yeah, and he he is like okay, so he's like a f really fat, bald, hairless guy. Um, and you get this feeling that he he kind of it doesn't live for like the body anymore, just for the brain. Yeah, and for like he he kind of he he has his ability to float around, and he's so like nonchalantly just fucking. <laughs> his head is like kind of slanted and over to the side. He doesn't. He's almost uh, you know he doesn't care. He doesn't use energy. He doesn't waste energy on bodily movements. No, <laughs> it's, it's all in the brain for him. You get the feeling of that, and yeah. He's a basically like a human slug. Yeah, he yeah he's kind of like floating human Jabba, but with understandable yeah. dialogue. Mm -hmm, yeah, <laughs> and uh, evil, uh, very very evil. <laughs> very uh, keyword. Yeah, keyword being right. very evil. <laughs> yeah, he's very evil. Uh, so he um, the thing is that Duke Leto. The uh, the guy who, who betrays them, he does it because uh, Vladimir has his his wife. Baron Horkonen has his wife. Yeah, and this and, is the doctor uh, character we're talking about. Right? Yeah, hmm. the doctor Yue, and uh, he um, has of course uh, tried to like make a deal with uh, Harkonnen to save his wife, and uh, but he also has like a, a double plan. Where he uh, he installs a tooth, a fake tooth, in Duke Leto's mouth with a very poisonous gas. Yeah. In order to to like kill Bran Harkonnen. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so so when when uh, the Baron is kind of gushing over his victory and uh, torturing Leto, basically floating above him. <laughs> He, uh, he Leto bites down on, on the tooth and the extremely poisonous gas, gas is released and it, it is a suicide also but trying to take uh, the Baron down with him and it fails yeah can we talk about how great that scene was because like some of the guards yeah. they immediately rush out to, to seal off the door as soon as they see all the um, personnel and they just drop instantly and they all die yeah. and then they seal the room, they come in later after they've um, used a machine to pump the room and filter the air. They come in there and they're like, they assume the Baron is dead, but they can't find him. And then they look up and he's like, like well hunched up, like really like goblin-like in the roof. He's like pitifully clinging to life because he can float, right? So he like floats up to the ceiling and I guess like, breathes into the small air pocket up there. Yeah. And uh, he's like... <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of Palpatine when uh, when he's... Um, uh, you know, the the scene where um, Mace Windu has caught up to him. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's trying to kill him and they ref Windu reflects the Force lightning back. And he's like, and I'm he's like, weak. Yeah, he's like, uh, 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 help, help me, Anakin. I, I, I'm, I'm too weak. <laughs> it's kind of like it's not really like that but it's it's a little bit like that you know that pitiful evil 
power character reduced yeah. to like clinging to life <laughs> which is really good yeah. yeah that scene was a lot of fun just from it's not quite campy but it is very like it just fits his evil character yeah. so well yeah. <laughs> i couldn't agree more uh so yeah so, um and Paul Atreides and his. We, we didn't really talk about Lady Atreides. No. Lady Jessica. With the Bene um, Gesserit and all that. That's a whole yeah, ball game. So that's a whole, like, subplot thing here. Um, because Lady Jessica, the uh, the lady of uh, House Atreides, the uh, wife of Duclero, um, played by Rebecca Ferguson, is a member of, like, a shadowy clan of women mm -hmm. uh called the Bene Gesserites. i don't you know there's probably a lot of of uh detail in the books about them but they're a shadowy organization which possess like a special power born yeah. from spice i guess i don't really know but i don't know do you know that i don't know any background of them other than the fact that they're very powerful and they can use the voice to command yeah. people that forces people to command as long as they adjust the pitch and the um, volume to the right level yeah so they have like this magic ability almost to command other humans and um i guess that it's all in the benedict order there are only women but uh, Lady Atreides, she teaches her son Paul this this art. Yeah, uh, in the ways controlling people with the voice. Yeah, in ways of the Benedictus. And uh, that, yeah, that's like a little bit of illegal activity, illicit activity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> almost. Um, but the the thing is, the the Benedictus they are like this shadowy Inquisition like. <laughs> I don't know, maybe not the Inquisition, but you get 40k vibes. Very yeah. 40k vibes. And they also kind of remind me, they, they, if for a comparison to like a similar institute in a fantasy, I would say something like the the mages, like the witches in The Witcher. Yeah. I actually like the order of the, the mages and the sorcerers there, where they are very powerful, very knowledgeable, and then they, you know, they often serve as advisors to different kings and queens and you know yeah, ruling yeah. institutes so that's yeah that's basically what they do here as well and control things from the shadows mm -hmm. yeah so the thing is that uh lady atreides and paul actually managed to escape um the, the assassination onslaught yeah the, the the just eradication of uh, the atreides camp and uh the Bene Gesserites have basically this. Uh, they've planted this idea of like a come uh, a legendary uh, hero basically coming coming forth. Uh, prophesized. Age, prophesized. <clears throat> yeah, and they've planted this story in religions. Like you get the impression that it's throughout the universe. Yeah. Um. And uh, like Lady Lady Atreides, she thinks that her son is this this prophesized savior, yeah, the Messiah, basically. Uh, but they re they don't really know uh, who this Messiah is, and it seems like the the Bene Gesserites really believe that there will come like uh, this this Messiah character. He will be born, but they also kind of try to cultivate him. Yeah, forth. they mentioned that they have 
several candidates. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is that on Arrakis, the, the, the population, the local population, Fremen, they have like been indoctrinated for, for hundreds, even thousands of years for the coming of this prophet, you know? Yeah. Or the, the Messiah. So when they see Paul, they like instantly recognize the the prophecies and stuff like that and, and they kind of at least some people are like yeah this this is the messiah come you know to our planet to save save us yeah and and the fremen are these really hard uh fringe people living you know in the far reaches of the desert in these like yeah. pocket bases underground and they share this um they share this uh, living space with the gigantic sandworms, the Shaihuluds. And the sandworms is one of the most famous things about the Dune franchise, I think, because they're everything from a few hundred meters long to, I think some of them can reach like kilometer length, you know? They're, they're yeah. massive and they <laughs> and they uh, constantly make spice harvesting into a very, very risky endeavor. But I also yeah. like that little thing where you know, you see, get to see a scene where Duke Leto, this is before the attack, when he's sort of just inspecting how the the things on Arrakis are, uh, is being done, and he just sees this harvester, there's this gigantic industrial spice harvesting machine in the desert, and then you see uh, there's this, like, you see that there's a worming coming, and they just communicate that to the to the harvester, and, and <laughs> then you get the business side of it, which is like, yeah, so estimated time to impact is about five minutes. You know, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, we'll, we'll chill for another, like, four minutes. They always yeah. wait until the last minute to get the maximum profit. <laughs> yeah, it's the industrial, like, cold, cynical, capitalist side of things. Yeah, which was imprinted on them by the Harkonnens when yeah, they ruled yeah, Arrakis. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know how... <laughs> I, I found this pretty funny, but... You know how Palpatine is always about power? Mm. Um, but Baron Harkonnen was like, as soon as he w came out of that disgusting um, tar pit of rejuvenation, he came out and he's like, yeah. you have but one mission, income. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his he superpower knows. is capitalism. Yeah, but he knows all. Yeah, but because and that's like important for world building because you can kind of feel how. Yeah, this is where the income of the family Arcon comes. Yeah, but they all they have like a, a home planet and probably control over different planets, you know, in, to varying degrees, and their kind of small empire within the empire is of course controlled by money. Yeah, you know, and uh, the, so this like this conflict is. You get the feeling that you know the the universe as a whole is much bigger, even though this is a, an entire planet, and it's a very important planet. You also get the feeling that there is a whole other you know universe out there with intrigues and politics and economics and stuff like that, which is very important you know for for the feeling of the of the universe. Yeah, and um, and then you have people like the Fremen who just uh, adjusted to living in those extreme. Uh, environments, yeah, and yeah. they, uh, they, they have also kind of like this very honor dependent um, warrior culture, yeah. and when, 
and they have this thing where they show that, you know, them spitting when they greet someone is actually a sign of respect because they're sharing moisture from their yeah, body, yeah, which, which is, is a valuable, so valuable resource. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, the Fremen, Fremen is very well like designed. They are, you know, a, a native, if you can call it that, people mm -hmm. of the planet. They've been living there for thousands of years before they discovered the spice, basically, or the the like properties of spice. Um, and uh, they are. It's like a traditional story of. of like imperialism kind of subjugating the local populace right mm -hmm. and uh, but like you said they they are extremely well adapted uh and like it's a, it's a healthy mix of uh, culture and adaption to the environment and also technology that is very specialized for yeah. surviving in this arid insane climate uh which is very well done also in the movie and it's very well it's believable here i come to like some <laughs> i have some gripes of course okay <laughs> so in the like very late part of the movie uh maybe we should wait a little bit and and kind of follow the timeline yeah okay so yeah uh but uh, at least we're introduced to uh let's uh dave batista as the beast rabban yeah <laughs> Uh, and I mean, he doesn't have a, like a large role, but yet. his role is yet like he's set up to have a large, a large role, but uh, he is perfectly cast. Yeah, <laughs> he's so yeah. fucking, you know, intimidating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the first, I think, the first or one of the first scenes we we see with him is uh, when the emperor has declared that Dune or the uh, planet of Arrakis will go to uh, Atreides. Mm -hmm. And he comes into Vladimir, Vladimir just sitting there being fat and disgusting, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> comes rushing in and screams with like this powerful, he's huge, he's in the, the fucking space marine like armor and yeah. his head is like no hair at all, yeah. white, you know, really intimidating, gross type, but you see that he's, he's so fucking strong and he just screams to, to his uncle, just how could the emperor, you know, fucking give it to these fucking <laughs> losers? <laughs> he's so fucking mad, and and that scene kind of sets him up as a character. He's he's raw, he's violent, he's strong, uncompromising in every way. Yeah, uh, and he fits just perfectly, you know. So yeah, <laughs> really good casting there. There are yeah, and there are a couple of roles I that I think were really promising and done by pretty big actors but they didn't have that much to do in this movie but they're set up for the next no. movie so you have next movie. Yeah, yeah one is one is him and I know from the 84 movie too that Rabban has uh, quite a few significant moments in the story yeah, yeah. Um, and then you have Shani played by yeah. Zendaya uh, who's you know uh, Paul has been having visions of uh, ever since he was like before, way before they went to Arrakis, because you yes. know he had, he's granted these visions from the bloodline of the Bene Gesserit or something, and yeah, yeah. So he, they've the Atreides have been connected or intertwined a little bit with the, the Fremen for a while because mm. also um, Paul's father, Leto Atreides, the Duke, he also planned to because the Harkonnens just subjugated them and just took whatever they wanted uh, and underestimated the Fremen, but then. 
Leto knew that in order to have any hope of turning that situation of uh, having to, you know, supervise Arrakis over to an, an advantage, he had to make an alliance with them and use their yeah. specialization and turn it into their own power and just, you know, yeah. to empower both sides. And uh, this leads into Paul and his mom. Uh, after they escaped, they rush to try and find the Fremen in order to, like, you know, seek refuge, but also eventually... Like, it just seems like all paths for them leads to the Fremen somehow, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and they don't really have a choice either because they, they tried um, rendezvous with um, the doctor or what's her name? Kynes. Kynes, yeah. The, she's like a, an imperial I don't know, supervisor. She, she, she's supposed to make the transition from Harkonnen to Atreides work, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, but she is also Fremen. Uh, but kind of she it's implied that she knows a little bit of what's gonna happen yeah um, but then she she does like initially say that she doesn't sign with the side with the Atreides but then she eventually kind of does and and helps uh, Paul and, and Jessica out yeah so Paul and Jessica they're they managed to escape the the slaughter and um, and they're traveling basically out in the desert trying not to be killed by the Harkonnens which are hot on their tail mm -hmm. and uh, they eventually meet with the Fremen let's just yeah let's skip forth uh, it, there's a whole thing there with uh, which is very good with the Duncan who they meet and he uh, it seems to he seems to sacrifice himself for the yeah, protection yeah fighting the Sardaukar yeah, and he kind of kills like twenty Sardaukar by himself. Yeah, and and like basically saves Paul and and Jessica, later Jessica there. Uh, so Paul and Jessica are just traveling, and and I also like that segment because the pacing slows down a little mm -hmm. bit, but you you get a lot more emotion out of the characters there, where where you can and and also how Timothy was portrayed when he realized he lost his father that his father was, was dead he got these the ring uh with the sigil of the his family yeah which is born by, by which is like the duke's symbol of, of uh i guess duke dukeship <laughs> yeah. uh so um and that was like very well done i think he knocked it out of the park just raw emotion and he was frustrated with his mother who has laid this weird destiny upon him um and so yeah so we meet up with the fremen at last basically the last part of the movie is that they they reach the fremen after a very intense scene escaping from a worm yeah as well yeah, they barely escape a huge huge worm that was I, that scene was so fucking good though yeah, it was it was really good, and and you get this when the the worm actually they usually they come up to the surface, but they don't like surface for real. Uh, they the their head stays submerged uh, until like the last uh, feeding process, 
but uh, in this scene, it comes up because of the the rocks. You know, it can't bore under the rocks, so it comes up and stands before Paul, mm -hmm. and you almost get this like this whale human encounter. Like you know, you get the feeling that this creature is ancient and not like stupid. You know, it has yeah. some kind of intelligence in there. Um, and so, uh, but the the worm is uh, is lured away by what's called a thumper, which is like a, a native tool developed to lure the worms because they're they're attracted to rhythmic vibrations. Yeah, they have around. similar uh, rules to operate by as the the worms, the graboids in Tremors. If you've seen that, yeah, to, no, to the no. to the listener. <laughs> yeah, to the listener, <laughs> to the one. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and they meet up with the Fremen, and, and they have to prove themselves uh -huh. because the Fremen are not, you know, they even though they have this religion, they know who Paul is, uh, but it's like fifty-fifty. They, they don't all believe that he is like the chosen one or whatever, the the Messiah. And they threaten to, and because like resources are so scarce, they threaten to take. And then, like, kill Lady Jessica because they need her water, or mm -hmm. her resources contained within. Uh, and Paul, they, they, there we got a little fight scene where Paul and and Jessica actually managed to like get an advantageous position. They're both really apt fighters, and Jessica is no slouch. I mean, no. she is really, really uh, an intimidating foe. She has a lot of great scenes where she just shows how much of a force of nature she is. The Bene Gesserit are not to be fucked with, that's for sure. No. She can basically be like, kill yourself, and then you'll fucking kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and the voice, whenever they use the voice, the way that's made as well, it's so yeah. unsettling and so... Very. And you, you really get the feeling that it's powerful. You know, I, I thought that was yeah, they really, yeah. they did a great job with that. Yeah, and like the the movie theater sound also made that really it's like super bassy and yeah. vibrant. Yeah. And you really feel that it kind of penetrates your chests. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a powerful command that is issued that must be obeyed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so and we get to see like Paul try this uh, this ability. Uh, multiple times and kind of you can see also he's evolving and becoming more apt at using it mm -hmm. uh, but back to the encounter with the ben and, uh, with, uh, with the Fremen uh, so also a character we didn't get to see a lot was Stilgar the leader of the Fremen uh, Javier Bottom yeah he also is like really well cast I think he was cool <laughs> though <laughs> yeah he really cool and the, the Fremen are really cool like all of the the casting of the Fremen they have these blue eyes because of the exposure to spice mm -hmm. and they look so fucking you know both like they look primally dangerous if you know what i mean mm -hmm. like how you ha when you have to en endure such an insanely hard environment harsh environment you get like really really strong um but yeah so the thing is that they Tim or uh, Paul and, and Lady Jessica, they managed to kind of prove that they they're not pushovers, and uh, the Fremen decide that, uh, led by by Stilgar, decide that they can come with them. 
Mm -hmm. But then there's there's like one one from Jamis who is like, no, I don't I don't you know trust these guys. I want. Uh, is it because of Lady Jessica? He wants Lady Jessica to be killed. Yeah, it's something like that. I don't really remember, yeah. but he. Yeah. But but the, he disagrees and yeah. invokes like an ancient tradition of like battle to the death, basically. <laughs> yeah. As uh, you do. Over. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> like, you know, very. Life is not regarded uh, highly. So yeah, he he opposes that decision, and uh, it, it's like a duel between him and Polatrades. Mm -hmm. And Paul, like you said, here we get to see that Paul is actually a fighter trained by like the best in instructors in the galaxy. Yeah, he is really really good at fighting, and especially like knife and sword fighting. The, there were there were a lot of good things in this scene uh, because th that I also want to mention that really helps yeah. sell it and makes it make it more even more special is that uh leading up to that duel when they're you know in that standoff and and talking with the fremen you see shawnee shows up uh yeah, yeah. and then she was like you know what i want you to die with honor so you can have this crisp knife that i received from my yeah. grandmother or something and a crisp knife is essentially a sacred tool for the fremen which is um it's a dagger made out of the the sandworm teeth yeah, and so she lends that to him, so he can use it in the bat in uh, in the duel. And she says, like, you know, Jamis is a great fighter. He he'll make it quick. And then, but, but and then you also <laughs> see, and, and then you also see like Paul having visions of Jamis. First, he, throughout the movie, he's had visions of Jamis being portrayed as a friend that you should, and yeah. this voice saying like he's a seek out this friend. He will help. He'll teach you the ways. And you see yeah. Jamis all through that, appearing like uh, this kind of like nice veteran hermit character that you see in a lot of fantasy yeah uh, yeah yeah but then suddenly he's the one who calls for a duel and they say like yeah he's a great fighter and paul has a lot of visions of jamis killing him yeah and 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 all this sets it up and he seems like a badass and then when he just sits there and he squats with the knife in preparation yeah. for the battle he looks so hard so intimidating yeah yeah and then and he and he, he kind of stares straight ahead yeah and paul kind of enters the dual ring basically like walking you know yeah and he doesn't acknowledge him entering at all he just stares straight ahead with those bright blue eyes yeah so focused you know yeah just squatting down with the knife in his hand he looks so fucking bad yeah it, it was a great scene and then when they actually start fighting i mean <laughs> you know paul just obliterates him. He just instantly yeah. gets the upper hand and just like puts the knife to throw it in and demands that he yields. Yeah. Uh, but then you know the the fremen are are objecting profusely because apparently that's yeah. against the tradition and stuff. There's no that's yielding. No, no. And then yeah, he there's only one way out. And that's death. Yeah. And Paul just keeps um, just getting him into these uh, stalemates with the, with the knife to his throat, and there's just no way Jamis is gonna win it. And yeah. he keeps getting more like primal, and he's, he does all these screams, and he's just like becoming really agitated. And eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. eventually, he just forces Paul to kill him. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of when the Fremen acknowledges him as something special, and they allow mm. both him and his mom to to proceed. And that's also yeah. when one of the visions that now have become questionable in terms of like, okay, they are versions of the future. 
Yeah, yeah. And th yeah, this is where you kind of see that Paul is not seeing the an absolute future. He is actually, and his actions actually shape the future, you yeah. know, and, and, and the different paths that, that are possible. And, and but like, yeah, and he's using his knowledge of the future to, like you said, Jamis would kill him in yeah. a duel. So, and there's and you get this voice like rise to the challenge or rise up or something mm -hmm. uh, calling to Paul and he decides that he can't die here yeah like you, you get that feeling that he's like he don't want he doesn't want to kill Jamis at all and he knows like the potential that their friendship could have mm -hmm. but he realizes that there's no way out he is either gonna die or Jamis is gonna die. Yeah, and then he kills him, uh, which is like, yeah, a really like powerful scene. And there are a lot of very subtle things that are communicated here. But yeah, I yeah, I thought this scene was such a delight from so many, mm -hmm. from all the reasons we just mentioned and more. It just. Um, it's a very great scene, and also, but then uh, right after, Shani finally kind of seems to acknowledge him a little bit, and then you get to see one of those mm. things that he has seen in a vision uh, with Shani, uh, like here, yeah. and then you see that that actually becoming true. Mm, right. Yeah. So. So, uh, so you you yeah you're kind of confused by the visions at first, but that's. Mm -hmm. I think that's like intentional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like Paul, you're supposed to feel like him. You know, he doesn't. He can't make sense of this either. No. But then he he meets these people and he understands that some of the visions are not are not coming to pass. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. Essentially. It, yeah. And like with Shawnee, you don't see much of her, uh, but. She, you know, she is uh, foreshadowed as being, you know, hugely important, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, I love the before the duel with Jonas, like Paul is just standing, contemplating quietly. And you also feel that that's what I was getting at earlier, that you feel that he you can feel that the mortal peril here. Mm -hmm. You really don't get the feeling that this is a surefire victory for him, you know? Because he can see his own death, and Jamis is fucking, he is a badass, you know? Yeah. And then, like, Shawnee is like, yeah, here's the dagger, you're gonna fucking die, so die with honor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Paul is, is slowly getting more collected, you know? Yeah. And he's kind of, you can you can really see the, the portrayal that Timothy, Timothy does here is expertly done. You can see that he's he's gaining more confidence, uh, and he's uh, you know being hardened by uh, the process where he's you know, had to survive and he's been hunted and having his father killed and stuff like that. Yeah, he's growing fast, uh, and that's you know the in the in a in his eyes where he does the salute the the Atreides salute you know with the weapon uh, over your forehead. Yeah, uh, before the duel, it's. As you know, you can see the determination in his eyes. He's really not gonna play around, you know. Yeah, and I fucking hard. Yeah, I thought, what a great portrayal, what a great character, and I think as a protagonist, he's like, he's pretty pretty damn good. He sells everything he yeah. needs to, and uh, um, 
I think also that something with those visions, for example, could easily have become such, a, and the fact that he's like, uh, you know, he he adopts the Fremen ways really fast instinctively. Mm, and yeah. these things could also be maybe likened to how Rey was in Star Wars, but I think they did a better job here of dropping subtle clues as to why this is. For example, yeah, yeah, yeah. as soon well, as... Much better. Yeah, and when Kain, for example, gives him the filtration suit and he puts it on the way a native would without having to uh, warn it before, she actually mentions in her native tongue, like it sounds like a prophesized chant almost, which mm -hmm. reads something like, you know, uh, the Messiah shall be born imprinted with the ways of uh, the people and stuff like that. You know, it, there's mm -hmm. there's always like breadcrumbs that tell you like, okay, so this is this is established in universe and yeah, and his visions are also know. not perfect, so they cannot make him just um, you know Gary Sue his way out of every um, no. And he's been trained his whole life by the best, which also explains yeah, a lot. And that's that's kind of what sells it here because Ray, she is just like some some fucking nobody on the the desert planet you know she okay she has to survive in a harsh environment but she's not trained yeah in the ways of the jedi like for years and years and years but paul is for, trained in in the ways of of fighting the Atreides style of fighting yeah. for since birth you know so he's more believable even though he's a small kid and he's still like scrawny and in especially like the early stages so you get the feeling that Gurney, you know, he's he's more of that that testosterone hardened uh, warrior, whereas Paul is more, he's very proficient, but he's not as aggressive, you know, and, yeah. and stuff like that. But that kind of comes and grows on him. But like you said, when when Kynes comments upon the way he wears the suit, the still suit, you can kind of infer that maybe Paul I thought that yeah maybe Paul just sub subconsciously picked that up from one of one of his visions you know maybe he saw yeah. like a still suit in the vision and his brain went was like yeah that's the way it's supposed to be and he put him on like that which is like a very great way to and they don't tell you that I mean that's my little interpretation of how that went down you know but I, I feel it's it's very it's it's such an intuitive conclusion to make and and to kind of tell that he is intertwined with the, with the Fremen's hmm. destiny here uh, in very subtle ways. Yeah, and is, yeah, this all builds up to the the very end after the duel where uh, Jessica or where Stilgar and the Fremen decides to take them to their siege is that what it's called the the pockets that they live in and yeah. and then jessica objects saying like no we need to get off world we need to you know report all of the this and but then paul yeah. is like no our path leads through the desert and he's yeah, now convinced yeah. without a doubt that uh and then he also mentioned like how leto wanted to get the desert power as he calls it uh by by helping and uniting with the fremen and yeah. Paul, just like now, he knows where he's supposed to go. And that was such yeah. a good moment as well. Um, Very good. And I love this movie. <laughs> and it's not, yeah, it's not tacked on, you know, sometimes. So, like, the, the actions like that, like, prophesized, yeah, no. We're going to do like this and this because I know it's in my heart. They can be very unsubstantiated. Mm -hmm. But 
in this movie, that's like the whole thing. They build this up, and it feels very right when the delivery comes. Yeah. Uh, right. Like he is. He is now in, in the firm belief that that is what he is supposed to do. You know, and you can well believe that that he has come to that conclusion. Yeah. And in, in like even strong enough to overpower the logic of you know wanting to report to the house of atreides and mm-hmm. and like get like military support and whatever um but yeah but the, now it comes to one of my small logical inconsistencies again mm-hmm. which was when they walk off from, from because the the duel delays their their departure a little bit and the sun comes up yeah right and like that's a major thing because the sun is, you know, of course, scorching the surface of the planet, and it's really hot, and they need to conserve energy and water and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but when they walk off as the sun rises after the duel, a lot of them don't have the mouth cover on. Ah, which yeah, is yeah, like, like <laughs> if if moisture is so fucking important, then you need to have a. Even though you have a nose thing, they have like a nose, almost ivy drip kind of thing you know the, the oxygen uh nose tubes mm-hmm. like contraption uh to capture moisture or whatever they have the, their mouths are not covered and like moisture from from your exhaled breath is uh presumed to be important uh so that's also like one of my like small logical in- inconsistencies. Yeah, I think that maybe once we see the beginning of the next movie, then yeah. maybe that's gonna be shown that they immediately put it on or something. Yeah, so. probably. But for now, yeah, you I know, get. That's it. like, you know, that's autistic levels of criticism. <laughs> but that's just me. And 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 you know, I mean, you have to make some compromises because you are supposed to like show emotion. Yeah. In these characters, and there were a lot of emotions shown in that last scene. Yeah. And it's hard to do without the mouth, you know. Yeah. And like the the mimics of the the movements of the lower half of the uh, face. Yeah, exactly. It, it would become. I think it would be a hassle if they have to just redo voiceovers like they did for, for Tom Hardy's Bane in Dark Knight Rises for yeah. every character. And suddenly yeah. everybody's like, "You merely adopted the darkness." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was born in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh man, but, but yeah. <laughs> but I guess um, to sum it up, though, yeah, the fact that you you have to go to that level of nitpick to find something obviously, find, like, yeah, 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 then then I think yeah, that says a lot. I, mean, I, I to be care- to be very uh, clear here, uh, that doesn't detract from the score. No, no, no. That little detail there, no, not at all. I'm just pointing it out. So <laughs> then there are probably more inconsistencies. You know that I didn't <laughs> get to to be autistic about, but yeah. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on a little bit, though, is that yeah, that, like you mentioned that 40k took a lot of inspiration from the original Dune novels. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it's kind of become a circle of life in the terms in yeah. terms of like because I know that they've updated some of the designs and stuff as a modern interpretation of the old novel, so they made mm-hmm. a lot of them. Uh, you know the suits a lot more badass and everything yeah. looks a little bit more stylized but there were a lot yeah. of uh, f- very 40k-esque things in here that I really appreciated mm-hmm. one yeah. of the things that we both uh, I think <laughs> thought of, uh, I, I, this okay th- this scene 
slapped on an extra 0.5, I'm pretty sure, to my score. <laughs> because yeah. the scene where you see the uh, the Sardaukar battalions... <laughs> yeah, that scene. Yeah, that was so good, yeah. That's one of my yeah, favorite scenes uh, of any time, because you see all these battalions there, they are, like, zealous. These people are... Um, they have their warrior culture, they're the elite forces of the Emperor, and they are also for hire for a very steep price. They're the best fighters, you know? <laughs> and it was very, like, Viking-esque also with this whole, um, you know, the, just dying combat is the best way, the only way, kind of, they gave those vibes. Yeah. You just see the battalions there, and they're having a mass, a religious mass, where... Yeah. <laughs> There's this pillar with a guy who's like, and he's just like, you know, fused with this pillar almost. And he has this gigantic metal contraption on his head. And he's just <laughs> talking with this booming sort of like bassy goblin voice. And he's holding, he's preaching to, to yeah, the battalions. Yeah. And it almost seems Sounds like... like um like a Ma Maori, you know, those uh, New Zealand warriors. Yeah. It sounds like... Like that kind of warrior chant just through a didgeridoo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, based up to like high heaven. That's like, it's like, bro, <laughs> Almost a little bit like the, the Mongol. <laughs> Almost a bit comical. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a, a Mongol, like traditional Mongol. Like the throat uh, singing? The throat singing, yeah. And, <laughs> and like you said, there's like this huge staging area just fucking going on and on for like <laughs> as long as the eye can see with like probably hundreds of thousands of warriors on it and they're like all information yeah like a, some kind of dance warrior dance like thing while the the harkonnen representative uh, is like bargaining with the, one of the leaders you know for for the the cell sword activity yeah uh, <laughs> and uh yeah, it's just so 4K. Like, it's it's so fucking good. <laughs> we both laughed when that scene was on. Yeah, just out of sheer glee because you know the fucking he he really reminds me of uh, especially that that guy that was holding the mass. It really seemed like he was, you know, he he was integrated with that pillar, sort of yeah, like that. Yeah. That holding that mass was <laughs> yeah. his only god-given purpose. The that was his job. Yeah. That was basically his thing to do in life. That was being on that pillar and, like, fucking infrenzying in these soldiers yeah. with his... And it was almost comical yeah. how, like, hard and, and deep that voice yeah. was and bassy. <laughs> I, I loved it, though. And, and because they, it really reminded me of some of those things you see in 40K as well, where the, there as well you have, because there's so many people in that galaxy that... Yeah, you can have a person dedicate his entire life being confined to a machine where his purpose is to read a scroll, you know, or like yeah, some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that's yeah, really yeah. what this reminded me of too, and I, I really loved it. I had a lot of fun with that. Oh, yeah. What a great, great scene. Yeah, so to sum it up, a great movie, guys. Go see it. Mm. Um, do subscribe and, and uh, follow us wherever you can find us. Uh, yes, please do. <laughs> We've been going on for quite some time now, so we're just gonna um, say uh, stay dank and stay human. 